Welcome to the American Toffee Podcast. We are coming to you immediately following Everton's dismal 1-0 loss to Brighton and Hove Albion. On today's show, we're going to break down where it all went wrong for the Toffees today, talk about the lineup selection, which players performed, which players didn't, how the tactics played out on the field, and give our man of the match and review the referee. We'll then follow up with a preview of New Year's Day Clash versus Leicester City. This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. All right, James, how are you feeling after the match? Safe to say, pretty awful. It was a really bad display from the outset. I wasn't feeling particularly confident. We had a really nice showing at Burnley the other day. Five goals, but and and, and I think fans sort of felt that maybe was a, was the dawn of a of an uptick in form, but we saw today a lot of the same problems manifesting themselves and it's clear that there's a long way to go with for this squad. Credit to Brighton and Ovalbian, they executed their game plan. It was a pretty boring game overall and it just happened to be kind of a fluke goal that that did us in. Alex, your thoughts? I think you pretty much said it best. I think it comes down to essentially a tactical mismatch in how Marcus Silva set up the team. I understand the thought process, which was, if it's not broke, don't fix it. We scored five goals set up this way. He's thinking to himself, well, a slight rotation in a couple, you know, a midfield forward player, and we'll be okay. But at the end of the day, in my personal opinion, he got it wrong. Yeah, I really do agree that it was it was a wrong decision to set up with the with the five at the back. At the outset, people thought it might look like a three four three. Within ten minutes, it was pretty clear that it was a, a definitive five two five two three. I thought the wingbacks Coleman and Dean really struggled to get involved with everything. It was clear that their numbers in midfield were making things very difficult for us to play any kind of consistent link up with anyone, with any player. You know, Andre Gomez only had 40 touches, which is when we, but when we, when the lineups came out, Alex, I texted you and, and I said, I really think that Ghana being back in the lineup will allow Gomez to kind of play more forward and facilitate the ball and move it around. There were never really any clear lanes to him from the back line and we couldn't get any kind of that link up play going. So it was really frustrating and disappointing for the entire game. Really? It was, that was the issue completely. We knew that they were going to set up in a four five one. They were very organized outside of possession. We ended up with about 55%, which is pretty embarrassing. Most of that was shifting the ball around the back and the issue lied between the fact that once you got the ball, maybe Ghana or Gomez, they sat there staring at five midfielders stretched across the pitch. And so what happens is that makes it very hard for Dean and Coleman to receive the ball because they essentially set up to kind of cut the service to them out wide. And what happens with that is it allows their fullbacks to play a little more centrally. And so 
as we know, our forwards, our wingers specifically, play pinched in so that our fullbacks can overlap. Well, when your fullback, you're being Brighton, when Brighton's fullbacks are able to pinch in and defend narrowly, then you've now neutralized your passing lanes to Everton's fullbacks, and you now have a man on both wingers instead of them being able to exploit gaps. Furthermore, on top of that, you have no one in the center of their pitch to play the ball to, and so it just proved to be too much in terms of being able to create any type of chemistry between players and getting the front three involved. I think that a lot can be said about Silva's decision with the formation. We did, of course, get the 5-1 win at Burnley, but really we didn't play all that well. It just came down to kind of a ridiculously lucky set of you know good finishes, quality finishes, but we didn't create a ton of chances. It just so happened that we were just really clinical that game. There were still a lot of issues where we didn't have a lot of possession. And so so the tactic tactical side of things was still kind of I still had some questions about. And then we saw today it just it really was not working. But tactics aside, I think there's a lot to be concerned about with how the players actually performed and executed the game plan because for the bulk of that game, especially in the first half, there was just no sense of urgency or desire. And I think a lot of players were kind of hiding from the ball because there were so many times when you had Mina Keen and Zuma at the back and we're trying to cycle the ball to switch fields. And it's kind of like, it's just a lackadaisical ball to Michael Keen, who then plays a lackadaisical 10 yard pass out wide to Mina. And there's no one really making any kind of runs or anything. And it makes it really easy for the Brighton players to shift position and cut off all the passing lanes because we're not moving the ball quickly. Like if they're the three center backs are sitting in a straight line, what's the point of passing to each one individually play the ball across switch fields very quickly. And then the players, because they have five, you know, a wall of midfielders, you've got to make a move and get up, get caught out of position. And we just didn't do any of that. And so while the tactics were a problem, there's a lot to be said for the execution as well. Yeah, I agree with you. And Everton gets stuck if trying to switch the field because we have no physical or aerial presence in any part of it except for the center backs, right? Because Bernard and Walcott, Bernard's like five foot two, Walcott, I don't know, five nine, five ten. Richarlison, not the best in the air. He's not bad, but he's not good. Neither fullbacks are gonna win you very many aerial duels. And so when you're switching the ball, unless it's perfect, it gives the opposition a whole lot of time to win it in the air and start a counterattack or retain possession or excuse me, regain possession. And so that's another issue that we have. And which is why, as all of you know, I've been favorable of starting Calvert-Lewin. Understandably, he got a rest. Now, the annoying piece is Michael Keane said in the post-match that a big part of it was fatigue. Well, the issue is you run out of that excuse when you realize that Brighton had less rest than Everton did since their last match. Yeah, it's it's really inexcusable. It, you know, tactics, execution, and then just pure desire. Like 50-50 balls, we weren't winning. It was a lot of what my old high school soccer coach used to call phantom jumps, where the ball comes to you and you don't really have any chance of playing it. But you jump to make it look like you're doing something. And I think Bernard was quite guilty of that and, and Richarlison as well. A really frustrating day for both Brazilians. 
Bernard was dispossessed or lost possession seven times. Um, Richarlison, basically invisible. And Walcott, of course, really just abysmal and offered absolutely nothing in the way of any kind of contribution uh, offensively or defensively. There was a, there was a time when Walcott was caught out of position. He was over on the left and then Brighton cycled it over to the right and we're, we're attacking our flank and he's just jogging across the field. It's like, what, what is the point of Theo Walcott in the side at this point? He had a nice game against Burnley. Fine. The inconsistency he's shown this season. It's just, it's, awful and it sucks that we don't have anyone to replace him yeah that's the big issue right it's the issue of the fact that walcott keeps getting look in looks in because of the fact that we don't have another right-sided player at all lookman has come in and subbed in he's been the number one sub for walcott currently lookman's injured which marco silva said multiple times this week Furthermore, Lookman prefers to play on the left and cut in on his right foot, not the other way around. And so we haven't seen great performances from Lookman on the right-hand side. We just don't have a natural right-handed or right-sided player to replace Walcott. And so a big part of it, I believe, is the fact that he's pushing 30 years old. He's tired, which is understandable. You can't drop him because you have no one else and then you know, he's just forced to continue to carry the weight. If he gets dropped for two matches, someone plays well and it lights a fire under him to really get back to his best and be consistent, then that's what you need. But we just don't have that at the moment. In terms of Bernard, I thought he was pretty much the best of the attacking bunch today. Now, you said that he lost possession seven times. He had five dribbles. If you remember a specific part of the match in which Bernard got free and played a beautiful cross to Keane who just missed the header completely just off target otherwise it could have also been a symptom of focusing most play down the left hand side for us but Richarlison and Walcott were both invisible so I can't fault Bernard too much yeah just a difficult day they really weren't very involved you saw that when we tried to we we played them very much inside and close together so that the wingbacks could get involved and it just it didn't happen and then Bernard did show a couple nice moments but for every nice moment he had he also had a really poor touch or just a moment of getting brushed off the ball with that with concerning ease of course he's not a very physically imposing player so you rely on that technical ability and today he was just I think the Brighton defense just outworked their work rate compensated for their lack of maybe technical ability that being said, we, we did have a few really good chances. There was the spilled ball by Button, and Richarlison has a good chance to put put it in the back of the net. He kind of scuffs it, hits it into the ground, doesn't really, you know, the defender is able to block it. Probably should do better there. There We hit the post twice, so a, a bit unlucky not to score a goal. And on top of that, their goal was extremely lucky with the corner coming in and... Uh, the the flick kind of misses and it drops right onto Andre Gomez's leg. Deflects, unfortunately, straight to Kadia, who has a tap-in from an offside position. Of course, not offside because it came off our player. And so it's a really lucky goal for Brighton. I don't really think that they deserve to win, but that's the game of soccer for you. Yeah, it's unfortunate. We had a lot of momentum, or at least we felt we did coming off of the Burnley win. 
I thought it was going to be a pretty comfortable win itself. It didn't turn out that way. But the only thing we can do really is look past it. Again, we have a lot of favorable fixtures coming up for a good while. Now, can Everton convert those favorable fixtures into three points? So far this season, the answer is no. It's the hope that kills, isn't it, James? Yeah, everyone buzzing after the last win. And as I said on the last episode, Everton do what they are want to do. And they rip out your heart and throw it on the ground. And it's very frustrating after the positive things we've seen for it to so quickly just kind of disintegrate into a lot of the the frustrating aspects that were very much present in the last few seasons are still still manifesting themselves on a week-to-week basis. It hasn't been much time for Marco Silva six months in. There's a lot of players who probably need to go. The most concerning thing probably for me today, besides the general ineffectiveness, was the lack of solutions off the bench. When your proposition to try to fix what's going wrong is to throw on Umar Nias and just kind of go like, just throw as many strikers on the field as possible and just sort of see if they can bundle one in. There's just not, there's not the necessary depth to change games. Adam Lookman is our really, our only true impact substitute and he's very good, but there has to be more than that. There just has to be. I agree. I think the other piece comes from the fact that he should have made a change at halftime to the formation itself. I understand he was trying to rest Sigurdsson, and Sigurdsson needs a rest just like everyone else does. So Ghana came back in and, and he got that rest. But at the same time, you you see very clearly that we were being overrun. We lost momentum completely. And so at that point, you need to go ahead and throw on another midfield player. You could even argue Tom Davies could have come on instead of Nias, for example, and just had four central midfielders. And some people might think that that's crazy, but it's not because you could have had Sigurdsson and and Davies or whoever else playing between the lines and giving us that ability to move the ball forward even slightly centrally. And when you don't have Richarlison playing in that hold-up center-forward role, then that that allows Sigurdsson to receive the ball, and it allows Richarlison to just make runs off of their very sluggish center backs instead of having to play back to goal. Yeah, we needed more movement because Richarlison, not a very good player at holding the ball up, and I think this was one of his worst games at doing that. He took on, again, the difficult and not very pretty task of just having to run and chase down a lot of balls that were being played long. Jordan Pickford's distribution today was not excellent. I thought he made a couple of really good saves, kept us in the game. And I thought we responded really well when Brighton did score. We had a couple of chances and sort of, you know, looked to to kick on and, and get that second goal. But then in the 10 minutes or so after that, when it didn't come, there was a clear drop, you know, heads starting to drop and that lack of urgency that was present for the whole game really became more and more apparent as things wore on. And and I do agree that I think Calvert-Lewin probably would have done a better job today in the role that was necessary from our striker. And without that presence in midfield to facilitate things and get those players involved, it was just very stagnant. And when those players like Richarlison, 
Bernard, Walcott are receiving the ball back to and have nowhere to go, that's the worst possible position because none of them are big and strong. They need to be receiving the ball, making dangerous runs, and it just wasn't on the cards today at all. It was not. So how do you think Andy Madley did, the referee today? I'd say i give him a 5 out of 10. There were a lot of missed calls. I thought the Brighton strikers were both doing quite a bit of flopping and getting the benefit of the doubt. That being said, I don't think there's much that we can criticize or blame the referee for in the way of changing the match negatively because we really only have ourselves to blame today. There may have been a missed call here or there, nothing that drastically altered the game. There were some pretty poor challenges from us. Mina, not his best game, struggled at times and had a couple bad challenges, received a card. All around, I thought he kept a decent control of the game, but not the the one thing that I wanted to revisit was that play where Brighton, where Richarlison goes down, is lying in a heap, and Brighton play out wide, looking like they're going to play it out of bounds, and then they just kind of the crowd kind of you know jeers and they kind of kick on and they they start to attack, and Bernard freaks out and ends up getting a yellow card for his reaction to that which I thought might have been a bit unfair. So yeah, 5 out of 10 for me. What about you? I think there were a lot of kind of questionable, small foul calls or lack of calls. But the most confusing piece, right, for Brighton's goal, although after review, it's clear that he wasn't offside because of the fact that it came off of Gomez, right? But the confusing piece is the linesman called it offside, So Andy Madley was like, okay, nope, no goal. It's offside. I'm looking at him. The players protest. So he goes, talks to the linesman. And then the linesman says, I guess it wasn't offside. And then he's like, all right, it's a goal. And that to me is very confusing because if you're going to, with gumption, call it offside. And then when there's even the slightest bit of protest, you're like, I guess my eyes deceived me or I'm second guessing my decision. That's really confusing for me. Again, not protesting the fact that it was indeed a goal, but that to, that's just very odd to me. I guess I see what you're what you're getting at, but I mean, I think the most important thing is to get the call right and they didn't get it right originally. If that if that offside had stood, it would have been very very unjust. I wouldn't have been complaining. I would have been very pleased. You know, when we're talking about how the Premier League and VAR and implementing those systems, the end game is to get the call right. And as long as they get the call right, I'm okay with it. He should have got it right the first time. I agree. But if if you ask, have to ask for a second opinion to get it right, so be it. Unfortunately, it just wasn't in our favor today. My only point to that is the fact that when have you ever seen a referee take the linesman call make his decision based on it. And then because of protests, that's the piece I'm talking about. Because of protests, he decides to then say, you know what, maybe I should think about it. In other words, it was essentially like there was VAR implemented, but there wasn't. And I've literally never seen it before. Again, not arguing that the goals should have stood. I'm just saying, think about it from a different perspective. If that was if if that was a different situation and they, they took that decision they made a clear decision, two of them together. They protested and they're like, you know what? He, let's say he was offside. 
and they're like, I guess he wasn't offside. We'd be saying we would we would justly be saying, why did they decide to take a different opinion after they made a call, which in soccer is always firm without VAR? Yeah, I, I mean, I see your point. I definitely see your point. But again, that's it was one game changing play. Really, again, a situation where we have ourselves to blame. Kind of just unfortunate the way that it comes off Andre Gomez's leg. And he really just had no time whatsoever to react because it all happened so fast. Um, you could argue probably the marking should have been better on that play. They did. They were in an offside position. It was just it was just a combination of really unfortunate factors that led to it. And I think probably a draw would have been a deserved result today because neither team really did enough. And then we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot. So it's it's another very Everton performance. And I think with time, we can change those types of things. But it's been that way for so long as a fan, it doesn't even really surprise me anymore. Okay, with all that being said then, if we have to choose a man of the match for the Toffees, who are you going with, James? I'm going 100% with Michael Keane. Not not a lot of players to choose from, but it seemed like he continues to very be very much impressive. I thought he won almost every header that, that was sent his way today. He looked really strong. He looked composed. Nestled in that center of the back three, he did a good job of being vocal and communicating with Zuma and Mina. And just out of a bad, very bad game, it was the he was the bright spot. That's fair. I think I'm going to go with Zuma. And I'm going to say Zuma because neither one of the center backs at the end, obviously, I'm, I'm disregarding Mina, put a foot wrong, it felt like. But Zuma had that really good tackle in the latter half of the match. Furthermore, Zuma was able to at least get his his header on the crossbar as opposed to Keane well off target. And so by a very fine margin, I'm going to have to say Kurt Zuma for me. I think that, that that's a good pick. Anytime we're picking center backs as men of the match, generally an indicator that things were not going very well in the other two thirds of the pitch for us. After a quick break, we'll be back with the Leicester preview. All right, James. So we have Leicester City at Goodison Park on New Year's Day. Bright and early 7.30 a.m. on the East Coast. How are you feeling about this match coming up? This is shaping up to be peak Everton game. I, for one, know that I'm going to be likely very hungover, trying to wake up very, very early to watch this game. And I'm not very confident about us getting a result. Leicester City, I think, have strengths that can you know, cause us a lot of problems, particularly their ability to counterattack should be a big problem because they, you know, they won the league off of it a couple years ago. They've got Jamie Vardy. It's concerning. They have a win, wins against Chelsea and Man City in their last three matches. Despite Claude Puel being rumored to be nearly out of a job, he managed to turn it around and get two absolutely massive wins for Leicester. They're a team who I'd say are probably 
our closest competitor right now for the spots in the table that we're looking for. Although you could make the case for four or five other teams because it's so tight. I think confidence is pretty low. It's going to be a quick turnaround again. I, I don't feel great. I don't know. Are you feeling more optimistic? I hope. No. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's odd. Leicester City, they have two wins in the last seven. Their wins, again, as you said, Chelsea and Man City, which is puzzling. It's, it's almost Everton-esque how we always play down to our opponents. Leicester City actually lost 1-0 today to Cardiff, and so that's kind of hopeful. But it's going to come down to Ken Silva choose the right lineup. And obviously, he's going to have to continue to take into consideration tactics, tired legs, a couple injuries. And so it'll be interesting. James, how do you think or how would you prefer us to line up? I'd like to see us do away with the three at the back or five at the back for one. It really hasn't worked very well in any of the games we've used at Man City, Burnley, and now Brighton. I'd like to see us go back to the four that we've established. The concerns about Seamus Coleman remain at the forefront of my mind, but I just don't feel like John Joe Kenny is quite ready, if he's even fit. But I wouldn't hate to see him come in, and then I'm going to say keep Keenan Zuma centrally and Lucas Dean lock on the right. What are your thoughts on the defense? I'm going to go 100% with what you've got, except I'm going to essentially demand that Kenny come in for Seamus Coleman, assuming that he's not injured. He was injured a little bit ago, which is why he was initially dropped from the squad. My speculation, since he hasn't been mentioned lately, is that maybe he's just not in over Baines as the one fullback on the bench now. But when you look at the fact that Seamus hasn't been putting in the best of performances and the fact that he hasn't gotten a break... Neither has Dean, but at the same time, Seamus Coleman is 30 years old. And so he needs a break, especially with how demanding that position is now in our system. So I'm going to demand that Kenny comes if he's fit. Okay, and then then what about the midfield? Do you think we revert to the tried and true of, of Sigurdsson, Ghana, and Gomez? Would you see Tom Davies come in? We don't exactly have the most options, but I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and go with the top three, Ghana, Gomez, and Sigurdsson. We know it works. They've all gotten some rest in the last two weeks in some form or fashion. And so with that being said, those three for me start in the midfield. I'm sure at that point, Davies could come in as a substitute, maybe even a spicy pick of Leighton Baines at DM if we needed it. He could have been a good he could have been a good choice today to help shore up the midfield with that beautiful left foot of his too. Yeah, I'm not I'm not convinced about the Leighton Baines in a in a DM role, but if we're getting really desperate, <laughs> there's worse tactics we could try. But I I think the three of Sigurdsson, Ghana and Gomez are just so complementary of each other where all three together really have a lot of synergy and cover for places that one player may not do so well. You know, Sigurdsson with his passing range and his ability to score goals, whereas Gomez is a distributor in Ghana as a defender, winning the ball back. You see that when we drop one of them, whether it be Gomez, Ghana, there's really blatant holes. Aside from having, you know, one fewer person, period, in midfield, 
which makes it harder to play in that area. The skills there, I think it's it's laid pretty bare what we're deficient at when one of them goes missing. It's very obvious that Gilfie Sigurdsson was missed for large parts of the game today. And that is highlighted now by the fact that as of, I believe, a day or two ago, Kieran Dowell went out on loan for the rest of the season too. Although he hasn't been making the bench for a large majority of the first half. Yeah, to Sheffield United, right? So I, I hope the best for him. I hope he can you know, get another season in the championship. He was at Nottingham Forest last season and did really well. I think Sheffield United are at a good position in the championship table. If he can get in the team and play consistently and contribute to their season, it'll be a positive for his development. I'm worried about his long-term future in that we couldn't find another Premier League club interested to take him. But the most important thing is that he get, gets game time and the championship is nothing to turn your nose up at. It's still a very good level. And at, at his age, I think it will do wonders for him. Hopefully it can help him to make the step into being a fringe of the fringe squad player to being a important squad player for us as he continues to get older. Let's top things off. I'm going to assume that you are going with three forwards in your lineup. So who would you like to see and where? It's got to be Richarlison out on the left. We've seen as a striker, he does score goals, but the rest of his game is very stifled and and becomes very one-dimensional and limited. On the left, he has space. It's tough to draw Bernard, but the consistency remains an issue where he'll turn up one game and really kind of go missing the next. Not for lack of trying, but just kind of the way it goes. And and with the squad rotation that's necessary this time of year, put Richarlison out wide, put Calvert-Lewin up top, and then if Lookman is fit, you've got to play Lookman because Walcott just, I don't even want to say it anymore, just terrible, awful, terrible. Lookman, not his preferred position on the right, but I think he can make a really strong impact and just kind of freshen things up a bit, give us a bit of a different look out in those areas of the pitch. What do you think? What a coincidence, James. That is my front three. DCL, he got his rest. Lookman, I really hope that he's fit again and ready to start because we need him. And Richarlison, give him his freedom back out on the left-hand side. I understand we don't have a striker. We also want to fit Bernard in, so it kind of works. But it's just not preferred. And at this point in time, we can't afford inconsistency regardless of where we go. So in terms of tactics, I'm thinking that Everton are going to look to control possession being at home. And we're going to play a high line, whether we play our preferred 4-3-3 or if we go with five at the back again. Where do you think that leaves our weak spots and our, our most important pieces to our tactics? The high line is going to be very dangerous because we know Jamie Vardy over the top <laughs> is an assassin and will, and will make us pay. We'll be punished. I'm confident that we can control the ball, but it's about having meaningful possession. And it's not just about sitting you know, 10 yards into our half, passing the ball around the fullbacks. There has to be, we have to be probing their defense, making them think about different potential options we could do. Again, we, we both said that we're not particularly confident. So it's hard to see. The last time we played Leicester earlier this season, Gilfie scored that absolute golasso to get us the win. And then Richarlison, Richarlison had scored the first and then Gilfie scored the second. 
it has to it seems like it's just those two are the only players we have that have goals in their locker at the moment. If we can create chances, I think looking to get a lot of crosses into the box for Calvert Lewin is probably going to be very, very important. And then it's going to be, again, finding that balance between attacking and defending where we don't get burned by their high line. Your thoughts? Yeah, that's a huge piece to it. The high line and Jamie Vardy in behind, it's what nightmares are made of, although he's getting older now. And it's going to be about the fullbacks being cautious. I feel like I say that literally every pre-match episode because they sit so high up and wingers love to take advantage of that, that space. I think my number one key matchup is going to be our front three and their defense this time around, specifically our wingers, whoever that may be, and their fullbacks, because they have some pretty good fullbacks. They're definitely not shy of pace. And I think that was a huge, a huge piece to the loss against Brighton. Whether that was fatigue mixed with inability to get the ball to them, the player, the attacking players are going to have to come up with the goods. All right, Alex, with that being said, score prediction time. Are you going 5 0 Everton or 6 0 Everton? <laughs> well, I'm going to say it's going to be a 2 2 draw at Goodison Park on New Year's Day. I think that they have a lot of pace and possibility to exploit the high line along with some fatigued defenders' legs. I also think that with how we came back after getting destroyed by Tottenham against Burnley, hopefully with the correct tactics up front and the hunger that comes with being defeated by Brighton, they'll be able to bag a couple goals. What about you, James? I think the 2-2 is pretty reasonable, especially you know we've been kind of shipping a lot of goals in December. That being said, New year, new me, as they say, or new year, new Everton. It'll be the first of the year and a really nice opportunity to start things off on the right foot. Maybe regain some momentum, kind of wipe the slate clean. However, I'm going to say probably going to be, I'm going to say one all. If we get a point against Leicester, kind of right the ship, that'll be enough. Assuming we look, you know, convincing and not squeak by with a one-one draw get the point on the board and, and continue to go onwards and upwards. All right, James. Well, hopefully we're both proven wrong in a positive way. Otherwise, thank all of you for tuning in as usual and look out for our Leicester City post-match episode on the 1st of January. Have a fantastic New Year's. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.